Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. You might recall, if you were here last week, that uh, we started on the uh, first part of a two-part uh, talk, <clears throat> Refinement of Mind. Um, two discourses by the Buddha from uh, the Anguttara Nikaya. <clears throat> Last week we did part one. If you recall, uh, it was about the purity, the impurities and the purification process uh, with that analogy of getting all the, the impurities uh, of gold stage by stage by stage and talked about how uh, the spiritual journey is also one of a process of purification over time. <clears throat> and tonight we'll do the second part, uh, the, the, the discourse that immediately follows that, which has come to be known as Refinement of Mind Part 2. <clears throat> and it's a, a different aspect of this um, gold analogy. <clears throat> a follower of the way devoted to practice should from time to time direct attention to three qualities of mind. The practitioner should from time to time pay attention to the state of concentration. From time to time they should pay attention to the state of energetic effort. And from time to time, they should pay attention to the state of equanimity. If one gives direct attention exclusively to concentration, one's mind may fall into indolence. If one directs attention exclusively to energetic effort, one's mind may fall into restlessness. If one directs exclusive attention to equanimity, one's mind will not be well concentrated on overcoming fetters and attachments. But if from time to time the practitioner pays attention to each of these qualities, the practitioner's mind will be pliant, workable, and lucid. Suppose a goldsmith builds a furnace, lights a fire in its opening, takes the gold with a pair of tongs, and puts it into the furnace. From time to time, the goldsmith blows on it. From time to time, the goldsmith sprinkles water on it. From time to time, the goldsmith examines it closely. If the goldsmith were to blow on the gold continuously, it might be heated too much. If the goldsmith continuously sprinkled water on it, it would be cooled. If the goldsmith were only to examine it closely, the gold would not come to perfect refinement. But if from time to time the goldsmith attends to each of these three functions, the gold will become pliant, workable, and bright and it can easily be molded. Whatever ornament the goldsmith wishes to make of it, be it a crown, an earring, a necklace, or a golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, there are three qualities which a devoted practitioner should, from time to time, pay attention to, namely concentration, energetic effort, and equanimity. If one gives regular attention to these, then one's mind will become pliant, workable, lucid, and not unwieldy, and it will be well concentrated upon overcoming all fetters and attachments. It's simple, but it's profound, too. If you're just looking at the gold, making sure 
that you're aware of what's going on, nothing happens. And if you just sprinkle water on it, nothing happens. And if you just keep on blowing on it, it gets too hot. But you need to make adjustments. And it's that way in practice, too. And I wanted to um, have us explore tonight the um, ideas that we might have about practice, and in particular, keep the, this, um, this teaching in mind. Because it's so easy, we've talked about this from time to time, it's so easy to get into the idea and the doubt, the wonder, am I doing it right? What is the right meditation? For you, actually, just as we, uh, as we explore this, you might look inside and see if you have some ideal, even though it might be a, um, an idea that you realize might not be the full picture. Do you have an ideal of what a perfect meditation would be like? The kind that when you get into, you say, yes, you know, or afterwards you say, yes, and gosh, how do I get back there again? What does the perfect meditation look like for you? Actually, let's just um, call a couple of comments. What does your perfect meditation look like? Don't be embarrassed if you, you know, we know better than to hold you to it. Just, uh, what does your perfect meditation look like? If you're really doing it right, that feeling of, yes. Anybody? Perfect spaciousness and feeling of freedom. Perfect spaciousness and feeling of freedom. Mm-hmm. Great. Any, any uh, other? Yes. Uh, centeredness afterwards. Right. Centeredness afterwards, yes. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody around here? A quiet mind and able to stay in touch with sensations for most of the period. Okay, all right. Yeah. I don't think I would experience it, but uh, <laughs> I would like ideally to be integrated in a kind of uh, peacefulness, but in a desire also to move that forward and have that directed in some fashion, not just to be spacious, but centered and moving. I want to be energized as a result of this. Mm. Okay, peacefulness that's not just complacent, but centered, energized, moving in some direction. Thank you. Yes? What 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 lines? are we talking about? (laughs) 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 What what was that? Okay, so uh, reminiscent of, of uh, altered state on, on drugs where there's a heightened sensitivity and connection with life on all levels and uh, a, not a rushing around but a, a, a deep presence that, that sees the sacred in, in this moment. I would take that. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <huh? laughs> okay, and now uh, just, to, just to ask, uh, wait, one more. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Whatever, whatever it looks like, that's what he, that's what, that's what his idea of what would feel really good. Yeah. Uh, and now, I mean, we all, we could go around the room and have, you know, 80, 75, 80 different ideas of what the perfect meditation would look like. Um, and now, one other aspect of it, and that is what, um, as far as the technique, what would doing it right be? Not what your experience would look like, but doing it, doing it right. How do you do this meditation right? Okay. Just if you have some kind of mind uh, idea that, that, um, that somehow you are aspiring to. Yeah, Janet. Okay, continue letting go with thoughts and sticking grip, and and uh, and more. On, and if you can have an idea of like what what is the what is the technique or what what aspect of uh, say the instructions. Yeah. Ed. Okay, so minimize unaware distracted time, most focusing on being here. Is that yes? So to get quieter and deeper. Thank you. Yes. Constant noting in a voice that's like, um, you know, Lady Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a continual noting in a very kind, compassionate voice. Okay. These are all, you know, fine answers. But the, uh, the thing to be watchful of is if you've got some idea of the perfect recipe, then you miss out on really the essence I, I get from the teaching, from this discourse. From time to time, one has concentration. From time to time, one pays attention to the energy, the uh, the wakefulness, the effort, and from time to time, equanimity. If we have a sense of the right way to do it, the perfect recipe, then um, we're setting ourselves up to be measured against some report card. And did we get an A that time? Or was it just a B minus. Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. Actually, if you do it perfectly, you just get an A. Right? And anything less than perfect, B, C, D, F, it's a whole lot of room besides A. Is it having no hindrances? Just the hindrance-free meditation. Ah, yes. Is it clarity? Is it calm? Is it insight? All of those things can come from practice. But the point of this discourse for me is the, um, the idea of making our practice our own. Having a sense of what's supposed to be happening is a good idea. Okay? Mindfulness is, you know, is really the heart of the meditation. But there's lots of different ways to be mindful. If you're, you know, we've gone over the four foundations of mindfulness, the, the basic discourse that, that all of Buddhist meditation is, is based on. And the, the Buddha talks about mindfulness of the body, including the breath, mindfulness of the feeling tone of experience, the pleasant, unpleasant, and, or neutral, mindfulness of 
all the mind states, thoughts, and emotions that come through us. Mindfulness, the fourth mindfulness uh, foundation is of the dharmas or the basic principles of awakening like the seven factors of enlightenment or the four noble truths or five hindrances. That's how the Buddha laid out the general uh, breadth of meditation. Within that, there's lots and lots of um, possibilities of variation. I've brought in this book. Uh, it's been a while since I brought it in. A great, a wonderful book that Jack Cornfield put together, which um, used to be called Living Buddhist Masters, uh, but since most all of them passed away, uh, it became an outdated title. So it's now called Living Dharma. And it's uh, 12 Buddhist masters from the Theravadan tradition talking about their styles, their instruction, and their way of doing practice. There's Mahasi Sayadaw, the the Burmese teacher who developed the style of mental noting, you know, lifting, moving, placing, rising, falling, hearing, hearing, itching, itching. A very potent practice. Extremely potent. The one that, uh, that I've done more than, more than any, where in that noting, you are directing the attention and the mind to what's happening and connecting with it in a, in a skillful way. And the tone of the noting can, can um, uh, determine your relationship to experience. One kind of practice. Actually, he was a renegade when he when he moved from feeling the breath at the nostrils to feeling it at the belly, he was called heretical. It was, he really got a lot of flack for that. You know, because he found, he was sitting, as I recall, I remember reading his story one day, and he was sitting and uh, he found that he was able to feel the breath much more clearly at the uh, abdomen. And so he started instructing others. Now the Anapana uh, Sati Sutta, the Buddha talks about feeling the breath mostly at the, at the nostrils. So when he moved down to here, it was it was a big deal. And now that's quite an accepted way to do it. Or using mental noting wasn't quite used in the precise way that he had done before. That's one of these twelve masters, Ubakin, who. Uh, uh, whose student Goenka is a world-renowned Vipassana teacher, uh, ha- had developed a practice where you systematically scan the awareness through the body, very, very systematically from top to bottom, and uh, it can go in a few different ways, from the heart out, lots of different ways, but where you're systematically directing the experience, the, the attention, to just feeling sensations. That's the essence of his Vipassana approach. There's um, Ajahn Neb, who's this woman in, uh, in that book. She, she was the, the fiercest of all. Um, her, her style of practice is really uh, daunting. She says, don't move until there's a reason to move. Okay? And see why you move. So you wake up in the morning, stay in bed, sounds pretty good, all right, I like that, but she says, don't move until you find that there's a reason to move. Now, when you wake up in the morning, how long can you stay in bed? I don't know about you, but for me, after a while, the call of nature comes. You know. Okay. Why are you getting up? Oh, because my bladder is full. Okay. So then you get up, and then you go to the next thing. All right. Why are you going back to bed? <laughs> because it feels so good. Okay. So then you lie on you know six or eight inches of foam, and if you're very still. After a while, it's not so pleasant. Maybe a while, but after a while, no matter how 
luxurious the position is, you're going to want to move. All those little adjustments, your body is saying, well, not so comfortable. Let's do this. Well, now I'm starting to get hungry, so, so let's do this. And if you look throughout the day, you are motivated to to avoid the suffering that's inherent in life. It's, it, I, I'm sorry I didn't bring in a passage I could have re, uh, read to you. It's really, um, it's really uh, a very intense practice. And she looks very fierce, too. <laughs> Ajahn Neb. Then there's Ajahn Chah, who has a whole other style of practice, very, very um, natural, being natural and watching. Um, let's see, here's, Aj- I'll read a little bit of Ajahn Chah. He's Ajahn Sumedho's and Ajahn Amaro's teacher and Jack Cornfield's teacher. And he taught very, very uh, simply. This is the way he, one sense of his uh, expression of practice. Traditionally, the Eightfold Path is taught with eight steps, such as right understanding, right speech, right concentration, and so forth. But the true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body. These eight doors are our entire path, and the mind is the one that walks on the path. Know these doors, examine them, and all the dharmas will be revealed. The heart of the path is so simple, no need for long explanations. Give up clinging to love and hate. Just rest with things as they are. That is all I do in my own practice. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing. Resist nothing. Of course, there are dozens of meditation techniques to develop samadhi and many kinds of vipassana, but it all comes back to this. Just let it all be. Step over here where it is cool, out of the battle. Why not give it a try? Really simple. Buddha Dasa is another one in that, in that book. and his, uh, his, uh, uh, One of his teachings, nothing to be, nothing to do, nothing to have. Just a, a real simplicity. Lots of, they're all masters. They were all masters. Some of them said, my way is the right way. But there's lots of different ways. And in fact, one of the skills of the Buddha is that um, there were so many different ways that he could teach. 84,000 Dharma doors is the, is the uh, traditional expression. For one fellow, he would, um, he would give them uh, meditation instructions like in the Satipatthana Sutta. And, you know, well, just sit and watch your breath and do this. And that very specific instructions. For somebody else, there's one discourse where he, um, this fellow is having trouble learning all the instructions and he gives him a handkerchief. He says, here, this is your meditation practice. You take this handkerchief and just keep rubbing it. Can you do that? Guy said, yeah, okay, that one I can do. And the fellow kept on rubbing and rubbing and rubbing, and he'd see that there was dirt, and from that very clean white handkerchief, it started getting dirty and it started changing. Kept on doing it, it started getting sweaty, and all kinds of things started happening. And he understood the profundity of change and actually became enlightened. Good meditation instruction. <laughs> I, I remember, um, uh, I, I haven't mentioned here in a while, so I'll mention again, seeing this um, um, great, um, revered meditation master, Ananda Maitreya. Um, he was about in his 90s when I, I saw him in Sri Lanka, it's a number of years ago. And uh, I was really, I had heard about this guy for a while, and uh, this, this very revered monk. Um, and uh, got to spend some time, and I said, "Well, what do you? What's your teaching? You know, what's your? Uh, what do you instruct your students?" 
and uh, he said, oh, I have them examine their thumb. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and, and, and then, then what? He said, well, they look very deeply until they see anicca, that is the impermanence of all the different sensations coming and going, dukkha, holding on to any particular experience, and anatta, the selflessness of that. Uh, un- w- until they see that deeply, they stay with, with that experience of um, investigating the sensations in the thumb. I said, well, how long do they do that for? He said, oh, they could do it for a while, maybe a year, maybe more. You know? But once they get it in the thumb, then, every, then they, it's very simple to open up to your whole body. You know? So um, try that one on for an instruction. <laughs> Ajahn Damodaro, who is Christopher Titmus' uh, teacher, he had people just lift, lift their arms very slowly up and down, and again, looking at Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. So, lots of different ways, huh? And we get into this, um, this thought in our minds sometimes when we're meditating, okay, let's see, I'm supposed to be on the breath, okay, I'm being on the breath, oh, there's something else, well, should I go to that, or am I supposed to be staying mainly on the breath? Or if I go to that, how long should I be on that before I go back to the breath? Or what happens if something else comes along and I go to that other thing? And then what about the breath? What am I doing here? And uh-oh, you know, I, did, I, did I miss something? Or, okay, I was with the breath. It gets really confined, really narrow. Okay, time to open it up. Okay, now I've opened it up. Hmm, okay. It's kind of, kind of spacious. It's very nice, all this spaciousness. It's getting kind of spacey. Uh, what do I do now? Uh, do I go back to the breath? For how long should I go back and then open it up? Uh, does this sound familiar at all to you? There's no one right way. It's all a question of balance, as the Moody Blues said. It's all about balance. Balance is throughout the teachings. There's balance that's given in the seven factors of enlightenment. There's three energizing factors, investigation and uh, energy and joy. There's stilling factors, calm and concentration and equanimity. And there's mindfulness that balances the two. It's not one or the other. It's not just investigation. It's not just equanimity. It's not just energy. It's not just calm. They need to be brought into balance. In the same way with um, the five spiritual faculties, there's concentration and energy, as was discussed right there in, in that discourse. There's faith and there's wisdom. If there's too much faith, you be, it becomes blind faith. If there's too much wisdom, that is investigation without a heart quality to the practice, it becomes very cerebral and maybe skeptical and tend towards doubt. But those have to be brought into balance. So it's whatever will bring about a balanced connection with the moment. That's the criterion. And within that, there's loads of variations. Now, it is very skillful to be grounded in a particular style of practice. Sometimes, if, if you read a book like Living Dharma and you take 12 different instructions or 12 different approaches and try to combine them all, it's really confusing. So there's a, a great power and value in getting to use one technique and really see where it can take you to. And once you get grounded in that, perhaps developing um, 
other styles incorporating them as well, you know, like doing loving kindness practice as a complement to mindfulness practice or doing slight variations. But within any one technique, even within one technique, there often, it's usually there's not one right way as far as what I should do in each moment. There's more and more the development of trust, seeing what is needed to meet this moment wisely. And to trust in your awareness when things are getting too spacey and scattered. Oh, time to get refocused here. When things are getting tight and uh, claustrophobic, oh, time to open up. Although the, the instructions are often to stay with what is predominant, that's not always applicable. If you have a very intense physical sensation and you are staying with it over and over, you know, there it is, five minutes it's in the meditation and your you know, back is screaming. If you stay with that over and over and over, your mind is going to get very fatigued very soon and it'll get spun out into a whole story. So it's not so skillful to stay with it when you can't have some connection and space and balance around it. Same way with a, with a strong emotion. If you can be where, there with it, fabulous. If you can really open to it without taking ownership of it and letting yourself just feel it as it is, feel the energy in the body and the mind, great. But if you're starting to get swept away and caught, it's not so useful to just stay with it, even if it's predominant. That's a time to bring some balance, open up to sounds, or have some do some loving kindness, get some space around it so that then you can come back to it more skillfully. There's no one right way. From time to time you might do one thing, from time to time another. So um, I'll close in a moment, but I'd just like you to uh, reflect. Go inside when I ask you a question to reflect on. Just think about the ideas you have about good meditation practice that might lead to some judgment when you're not there. Just notice what it is that you might impose on reality that gives you either a pass or a fail. And now... Just for a moment, reflect on what it would be like if that idea or those ideas weren't true. That is, weren't the ultimate guideline for good or bad meditation practice. What if they were inoperative. What if whatever you were doing in the service of mindfulness was good enough? What then, if there was just a sincerity that you bring to the moment and meet it as skillfully as you can, just as it is with a kind awareness? What then? Okay, if you'd like, you can open your eyes gently.
So before we have a general discussion, I'd like you to uh, turn to somebody near you. And you can each take about two minutes, okay? And I'll ring a bell when it's halfway through, when it's time to switch, and just share a little bit about your ideas that might be imposed on uh, on meditation practice, okay? and uh, how how it might be different if you didn't believe them. Okay, so turn to somebody near you. And uh, you can start now. Anybody need, need a partner? If you need a partner, raise your hand. Anybody else need a partner? Here you go. Anybody else need a partner? Okay, make sure you've switched uh, if you haven't yet. We'll take another few minutes.
So I've done some retreats at, uh, you know, at Mesh Chassis. Okay. Well, glad to hear it, Jay. <laughs> He's start finishing up. You can thank your partner. Okay, let's come back. here um, as you were going through true confessions yeah, yeah. was that was that useful too yeah. yeah it's nice also to connect with with, with someone else um, as well so it feels really good to feel the energy here so uh, what what came up from that <clears throat> anything either about going through that exercise or any any questions that you might have on uh, technique or, or practice. Let's take some time. And uh, say your name, talk right into it. You've got to put it really close to your lips and put it like directional. That's it. You've got it right like okay. that. My yeah. name is Lynn. Um, I found... Closer. Closer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found that I have a lot of rules. Um, like if I'm sitting on my big purple ball, that's not quite as good as when I'm sitting on my cushion. And if it's not about 45 minutes, mm, it's not quite right. It's not quite long enough. And um, if when the bell rings, if I'm on a thought, mm, that's not quite so good either. Mm-hmm. So um, I've discovered that I have all these rules. And um, so I kind of noticed that. There don't have to be rules. So. That's great. You know, just to see that you've got the rules starts to free you from their tyranny. Just great. Thank you. Other, yeah, back there. My name is, am I there? That's uh, it. Real okay. close. Yeah. My name is Julie, and listening to you discuss that book and talking with the partner makes me feel I've been very stuck. Yeah, I've been doing the same kind of thing over and over again. I hadn't even thought of of uh, trying to experiment. Um, and um, uh, I was also reminded of one time, only one time in meditation where it seemed like there was no sweat, no struggle. And I seem to be able to stay with the breath. And it was, it's never happened again. But um, I keep hoping that it will. And I don't know what I did or what happened, but, uh, uh, and I think that um, I didn't struggle with the incoming thoughts. But um, anyway, I just have this feeling that maybe I've been kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Building up a pattern and just staying with that pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if if that experience of no struggle happened just once in your in your uh, memory, and all the rest of the time there's a struggle, take a look at what the struggle is about. Because the moment is just the moment, and the struggle is extra, what we add to the moment, what we think is is not good enough. It's possible to be, you know, certainly when you're clear and you're connected and, you know, it, it's wonderful and there's obviously no struggle there, it's also possible to be somewhat unclear or even all over the map and there not be a struggle 
even with an intention to be present. I'm not saying, oh, it doesn't matter, so, you know, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful, you know, next lifetime is okay by me, you know. I'm not saying be so sloppy and lazy that, you know, you don't care. Because you really have to care to do, to do this practice. But you can care without the struggle. You can care and realize that if you're putting a sincere intention and, and effort into the practice, there's no need to beat yourself up for anything extra. idea that we're not measuring up to. Well, I'd like to achieve it again, but... Yeah, but you could achieve in this moment no struggle. Do, do you see the difference? There's the no struggle because everything is blissful and calm, or there's the no struggle because whatever is happening is just what's happening. And that, that's, that's the extra struggle we're talking about. Thanks. Some other hands up. Oh, let's see. Any, anyone who, how about people who haven't uh, spoken yet? Yeah. Yeah, pass it. My name's Sheridan, and um, I sometimes find it confusing to have so many choices of things to do, and I'm, I'll be meditating along, and then all of a sudden I'll think, oh, maybe I should do loving-kindness. You know, I'm starting to get harsh with myself. Maybe I should do loving-kindness. And then I think, well, okay, that's just an idea. Does that mean I follow the idea? And the more I hear to do, and then I, oh, mm-hmm. then there's Tong Lin. Well, gee, maybe I should try Tong Lin this meditation period. And uh, so anyhow, sometimes I get, I get confused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, uh, that's a good point. I'll just share with you my, my approach. The whole practice, at least the mindfulness aspect of the practice, it comes down to what's happening now. And whatever you happen to notice, you know, it, there's always the breath. But if something else is happening when, when that is brought to mind, what's happening now? What's the experience? Breath, might be sound, might be sensation, might be thought, whatever. Can I let it be how it is and bring a kind awareness to it? That's, that's my first approach. Okay. So within that, what's happening, it doesn't matter so much what you're paying attention to. It's just whatever is emerging. If I can't let it be how it is, or can't bring a kind awareness to it, there's some kind of struggle. Okay? So then, it might be, might be time to turn to something else that's happening. Because that one is, is, too, is too confusing. Okay? And then you can turn to anything else in your field, going to sounds or... Uh, going back to the breath, if it's something else that you're paying attention to. Just anything else is fine. It's just as good as that. If you're getting really caught because your reactions are confusing and it's hard to stay with your reactions because that's what's happening, okay, then that's a time to bring in some balancing practices like loving-kindness or Tonglen or something like that. But the first approach would be, you know, the simplest uh, of mindfulness, just what's happening. And you don't have to figure anything out. It's really, uh, I find, if you listen carefully, you, there's an intuitive sense of what feels right. And, and, and I think meditation practice, a lot can be distilled into listening carefully for that, for that rightness. You know? And when it starts to be, well, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that, you know, and then there's a kind of um, cerebral, you know, spinning your wheels. Don't listen to that. 
Just come back until you hear in your heart saying, this feels right. The guideline, again, being what is going to support being present and meeting this moment with, with a balanced awareness. This. One more. Here, why don't you uh, pass the mic. That's the talking stick. And talk right into it. And this will probably be the last one. Oh. Um, you Speak right into it. Hello? That's okay, better. Cool. Um, you talk your, about, your name is... Oh, my name's Matt. Um, you talk about sort of achieving balance or... Well, maybe not achieving, but... Not um, achieving. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, good, you caught yourself. Um, but... Uh, and I totally, that, that seems very right on to me. Um, but I have a lot of trouble knowing what in any given day, at any given moment, will help me come back to balance. And it's in, you seem like you were kind of answering that with your last question of just so, I mean, your last answer with, of just having an intuitive sense of what's right. But it seems like that in and of itself is something that's, you need to be very skilled to, to be able to listen to. So if you don't have, if you're not able to have that intuitive sense, how do you know what's going to help you on at any given moment? Mm -hmm. Well, first, uh, it's helpful to um, let go of being afraid to make a mistake. And it's like when you learn to ride a bicycle, right? If you're wanting to stay balanced and you're very focused on not losing your balance, it's impossible to be balanced, right? Learning to ride a bike, at some point, you just kind of like take a leap of faith and trust that you can make an adjustment. And a bicycle is, you know, hmm, it's this. You're doing constant adjusting, right? And then you kind of get in the rhythm and the flow of it. In the same way uh, with the meditation, don't be afraid to make a mistake. If you go to overboard and left, okay, come on back to right. And basically, the aspects of balance that you can check in are, are you feeling contraction now? You know, if there's a contraction, either in the mind that's getting really tight, or the body that's getting in tight, time to relax, bring some ease and, and space, not trying so hard. If it's getting really laid back, yeah, well, this is kind of cool. Time to um, renew your commitment to, to be here. Like in that discourse, with a lot of concentration, sometimes you can get really focused. And it says indolence. Indolence, by indolence, it means like your, um, the stillness that can come from concentration can lead to a kind of dreamlike state, a sinking mind, you know. You need some brightness and alertness. Hmm, time to open up the aperture of awareness to take in a bit more to, to wake up or get grounded. Or if it's too wide and too many things are happening, you know, then it's just getting a sense of where you're at and where you're a little bit off and just, again, trusting and listening. But particularly around the energy uh, is the thing to, to tune into. And that equanimity was the third one that they were, that he, the Buddha was pointing to. Equanimity, besides the concentration of the energy, and equanimity is what says, it's okay. That's, that's the Vipassana mantra you maybe have heard. That's one of Joseph Goldstein's contributions to 20th and 21st century Dharma now. The mantra, it's okay. Just whatever is happening, it's okay. It is just what it is. That's equanimity. So when all else is getting confused and tight, ah, oh, it's okay. Oh, confusion. Okay. Oh, freaking out. It's okay. All right. All right. And just giving it a wide enough space so it can be held in in that um, that ease. Okay. And again, it's like nobody can give you the prescription. It's more a matter of learning, learning to trust, to, that you have the awareness that can meet the moment in that way. Okay, so um, let's, let's close now with loving kindness.
Just feel yourself breathing and alive. Feel your heart center. And let this moment be okay, just as it is. No need to struggle. And breathe in through the heart, benevolent energy from life around you. Let it fill your being and awaken even more of the goodness inside of you. As you breathe out, surround yourself with this loving, uh, loving energy and extend it outwards. And then send some kind thoughts to yourself. May I have happiness in my life. May I share my happiness with others. May I know real peace inside. May I share that peace with others. May I feel all the love that's inside. May I share that love well with others. May I have real understanding and wisdom. May I share that with others. And then extending outward to include everyone here and people, animals, and creatures in this neighborhood and throughout this area and state and throughout the country and all over the planet in all directions, all beings. As I want to be happy, may all beings be happy. As I want peace, may all have peace in their lives. As I want love, may all be touched by the power of loving-kindness. As I want wisdom, may all have the highest wisdom. May all beings everywhere be happy. Thank you. Have a good week. This talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group on March 29, 2001. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.